Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.、A、laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah,、oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, John Schwab here from Curtain Call, and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Curtain Call Theater Podcast,、uh, the podcast that brings you、uh, as close as you possibly can be to meet and greet the people that make theater happen. And、um, uh, so, apologize for the sound quality of this intro, but we are here at the Plaza、uh, 2017 event uh, exhibition uh, for the Professional Lighting and Sound Association, and、um, so I'm kind of backstage here、uh, doing this little intro. So apologies. I just wanted to bring you a Q and A that Matt and I. Attended last night after a performance of Man to Man at the Wilton's Music Hall. It was a stunning performance. It is beautifully directed, expertly designed. The craft in、uh, in translating this and and the, and the performance by Maggie Bain is unbelievable.、Um, if you have a chance to go see it, it's at Wilton's Music Hall, which has been recently renovated, and it is just a stunning piece of work in a stunning building. Go. See it. Tickets are available.、Uh, but the Q and A last night was with Bruce Guthrie,、uh, one of the directors, and Alexandra Wood, who was the English language translator. And they take you on their journey of, of bringing this、um, work of Manfred Karg's to the to the audiences、um, around the world. They're about to go on tour here in the UK.、Um, they finish on Saturday night at Wilton's Music Hall, but they're off to Birmingham, I believe, next, and actually going over to the. Brooklyn Academy of Music. They're going to BAM, and it's already sold out. That's how popular the show is. But、um, I'd like you to, inv- I'd like to invite you to listen to this Q and A, and and it's a it's a it's a brilliant Q and A with Bruce and Alexandra.、Um, have a listen. I, I could go on and on about how blown away I was about this show, but just have a listen and enjoy this podcast. Start just by telling you just a little bit about how this kind of came about.、Um, it was、um, about four years ago. I was reading a book that was written by、uh, Stephen Unwin, who's a director who used to run the Rose in Kingston.、Um, it was about、um, directing, and it was about his career. And he had directed production of Man to Man 30 years ago this year at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh. Um, where we'll be playing actually in about a month's time, which is really exciting for me, as you can tell by my accent. <laughs>、um, so, 30 years ago,、uh, they premiered this play with、um, the first English language version of it,、um, with Bunny Christie designing it, very young Bunny Christie, one of her first shows, and Tilda Swinton making her debut. 
um, and it took the Travers by storm and then transferred a year later to the Royal Court Theatre and um, had kind of has kind of disappeared. I mean, it's been performed all over the world. I think it's been translated into something like about 60 different languages. Um, and there had been one version of it done in English here, which I read four years ago, because I kind of, I've read this in his book and thought, that sounds amazing. And, um, and I'm a big fan of Tilda Swinton's, um, as is my wife, Maggie, who you saw tonight. Um, and we've been looking for a project to work on together. And um, so I managed to get a hold of the script and give it to her and said, have a read of it, what do you think? And came back upstairs about an hour later to find that she was just over, going over the top with excitement about how good the script was. It was a bit sort of like, I don't know what it is, but I know it's brilliant. <laughs> and I was like, me too. Um, but, but we knew that it was an incredible story really interesting play and unlike anything that I'd ever really read before apart from a production which I saw here in 2009 The Wasteland that Fiona Shaw had been in and that Deborah Warner had directed I'd just been working with Deborah at the time on Mother Courage at the National Theatre as her associate director and it just all kind of like clicked into place and that I knew that I wanted a new version of it done just purely to freshen up but there was nothing particularly wrong with Anthony Vivas's brilliant uh, version of it, but that I felt that um, that working with uh, you know an up and coming yet established award winning writer <laughs> in her own right um, would be a good plan for this play because you're getting a female perspective on it as well as Manfred's perspective. And Maggie and I went to Germany and we met with Manfred to ask for permission to get this new version done. And we met with him because he still works at the Berliner Ensemble and that he's a He's an actor, he's a director, he's a writer, he just does everything. I mean, I think, I think he sells tickets and ice creams and things like that as well there. He's just so brilliant and he's so full of life and, and amazing. He's, he's well into his 80s now and he's seen this production twice and he's going to come and see it again in New York when we're there in November. And um, we sat and we spoke through a translator really because he speaks very little English and I speak no German and Maggie speaks no German. We're Philistines. And... Um, and he agreed to, uh, to let us do a new translation of it, which was incredibly exciting. And about a month later, I met Alex, and we're all here two years, uh, two and a <laughs> half years later. Between. Nothing happened in between. Yeah. But the, yeah, but, I'm, but the, that's, my, that's my opening gambit, as it were, and that I'm going to you know, um, let you guys ask us some questions about what you've seen, and maybe a bit about the process of translating a play, if that's interesting to you, or, you know, it's, it's really, it's your Q&A, so please feel free to ask away about what you've seen or what Alex's process is like, because it's such a rare thing to get the writer to, to talk about that, and particularly when you're translating a play. Um, does anybody have any questions? Hello, yes. Alex, did you have any um, prior contact with the playwright before, before the production, or before you began writing? Of Manfred? Yeah. Uh, no, I hadn't read any of his plays or anything. I didn't know his work. Um, so I just came to it fresh when you asked me to read it and um, thought it was a brilliant play. And I thought there was, I thought it, 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 it's a generous play and that it allows a director, a performer, a translator, a creative team to do their thing and to make something of it. And I always am attracted to that kind of work where there's space 
for everyone's do something. Because the play is 27 scenes um, <coughs> with no stage directions at all. So it does allow you to kind of like to put your own stamp on it. And Manfred's very proud that every production of it is so wildly different. Um, but for a writer as well, is that you've got 27 shards and a different way of interpreting the world and different, you know, saying similes, whatever it is that, that, that kind of like are, are strewn throughout the piece. And so it was, it was an interesting process because we work with a literal translator as well, a lady called Penny Black, um, who's a brilliant literal translator. And that, so she was able to give us, able to explain an awful lot about the history and why certain phrases were constructed in a particular way. And one of the earliest kind of conversations that we had was that I wanted it to feel very German. Um, I didn't want it to feel too anglified and too smooth. The poetry should be jagged and it should be brutal and it should be working class. Um, but there's still a lovely elegance to it. There's the kind of like, you know, the poetry and the romanticism of the working class still kind of permeates the play. And Manfred, from the other plays of his that I've read, like Conquest of the South Pole was the other really famous one um, that's been done in this country, but he's, he's done lots of different things at the Berliner Ensemble but that he kind of seems to identify with people that you would otherwise walk past on the street. And they have incredible stories to tell, just like Ella Gerica, who you saw tonight, or Max Gerica, depending on what, who it is that you meet in the street, or the, or the multitude of different characters that she magpies and takes on. Um, yeah, sorry. I didn't, like, um, the Anson Bidas version, mm. uh, as good as it was, it did feel like he had maybe a political... I knew what his political yeah. stance was. So I did want to kind of let the play speak for itself a bit more and not impose that um, too much. Mm. Um, and that might have been because it was a product of the 80s. It was sort of up in Scotland. Maybe there, there was a reason for doing that show then, whereas I wanted it to be... We're not political in Scotland at all. <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't know. Um, but I just wanted to be as... Uh, get in the way as little as possible, I suppose. Because I hadn't done a translation before, so it was really interesting for me to get involved. I absolutely love doing it, and I think I probably can only do them in German, because I know a little bit of German. Uh, absolutely couldn't have done it without Penny. But I, I absolutely, you have to look at every single word, what the power rhymes, the rhymes. You have to be so forensic that I wouldn't be able to do that in any other language, therefore I wouldn't feel I want to do it. Mm. Um, if, you, if I couldn't do that, I wouldn't want to. Um, so I tried to stick as much as I could and just let it speak for itself and get in the way as little as possible. That was my approach. Maybe if I did another translation, it would be different. But for this play, that felt... Because it's so spare um, in the language itself, that felt right. Great. Hello. Um, how much of your own stuff has been added or has that all come from, I, d I don't know the original play at all, so for instance all the stuff like the Brothers Grimm elements, was that all there in the, in the original stuff? Text-wise, yes. Snow White and all the different yeah. references to, um, to the other fairy stories, they, they, they're all there. Yeah, absolutely, it's kind of text-wise, but I suppose that is an element you particularly drew on and responded yeah. to, isn't it? Well, it, it, well, it was a lovely discovery because it's it was kind of when we got to Germany is, is that it, Manfred handed us, he's got these little um, kind of like 
the the pocket sized versions of plays that they give there, and they've got photographs and things like that all the way through them, and 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 it's got a little subtitle there as well. So you've got um, Jacket V Holtz, and that then underneath it is is that I was like, what does that mean under it? And then it said a modern German fairy tale, and so it was like, okay, that's great because I'm getting all the Snow White references throughout it. You know, the the the, the moment with the um, she could not move for fear and horror because the iron slippers were there and that they were carrying them with tongs and laid down in front of her and it's, it's so dark the grim fairy tales, they're amazing and that just this idea of the wicked stepmother, her punishment being that she's made to put on these red hot iron shoes and dance until she drops down dead being, then following it up with what her own mother did which is make 10,000 brown you know, paper bags from morning till night for two marks a day, that being her red hot shoes that she dances around in until she drops down dead, becoming the simile for working class manual labour, just being like, wow, okay, right, that's fascinating. So within that, we were able to, I'm particularly drawn to kind of like German expressionistic cinema. I love things like Metropolis by Fritz Lang, I love things like Nosferatu, I love things like cabinet of Dr. Caligari and how they kind of like skew and twist the way that people view the world and I think that because of because this is a memory play and because it's shards, it's imagery is it that she's remembering something but how accurately is she remembering it when it goes into dreams and nightmares you've got an opportunity to exaggerate those things a little bit but absolutely keeping within the spirit of what Manfred wanted and the actual text itself, there's only one line that we've added, well, that I sort of added, um, that I got Manfred's permission, but it's not really adding it, it's a repetition thing, and it's the are you perhaps mentally ill moment um, in the 25th scene when she's up in the chair. And that, that was mostly because we put her in a precarious position whilst doing something very ordinary and every day. Kind of like I mean, it can be whatever you want it to be. I'm not going to prescribe what you feel that that needs to be, but that for us it was very like, okay, so um, the idea that she's reached a stage in her life where she's probably in her late seventies, early eighties, and she's never once questioned whether there's anything wrong with her until that moment when she's got too much time to think about it. An old person sitting watching television by herself, lonely and all of a sudden someone says something to you and it hooks in. And that was fascinating for me because that's the thing, the Lukov, Lentov, Murkowski case is a very, it's a very famous case apparently in Germany and it was like, no one's gonna get that. <laughs> Absolutely nobody's gonna get that. But the thing that they will get is the idea of somebody asking you, are, are you mentally ill? And her saying, no I'm not, I, I don't think I am really, but maybe I am. Maybe there is something wrong with me. Don't know. And then one, there was one scene that Manfred added uh, yeah. post uh, the wall coming down. So when the wall comes down, so the original play was before that. So after that, he did write that and add that. So that wasn't in the original English translation because it didn't exist. I can I can hear um, little vo noises of approval of yeah I picked up on that yeah the wall <laughs> came down there you know yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely up. quite right yeah. yeah it was only added what about five six years ago uh, yeah, I, don't I think know. something like that yeah great. Um, how closely did you work with the lighting designer and set and that sort of thing? So I kind of found it really interesting. The kind of I don't know, there was something kind of Kafkaesque, sort of the kind of yeah, it's cool. 
Lovely. Um, yeah, good. Um, uh, none of it works. One, one of these things doesn't work without the other one. It was very much, you know, we were very much a team, and my co-director as well, was just that it was just like, you know, we, we were never not on the same page. And that some of the projection stuff that you saw as well was, is I was having ideas at three in the morning, phoning the projection guy, who's a very good friend of mine, telling them we need to do this tomorrow because I want to, I want to put it in the tech session the following afternoon. And it was like, yep, okay, right, fine, get people. So I was emailing actors to come down to do all the stuff as we were having the ideas. Um, all of it, they, for me as a director, is, is that I've been kind of striving towards this idea whereby that everything all works and everything com is compatible. So everything that you see as part of the storytelling has to exist. The actor and the spoken text is always the most important thing. The story is always the most important thing. But the, um, I'm very blessed to have worked with people who are, you know, amongst the very best in the business at doing what they do. And they've just been, they're great with each other as well. They're very good at taking the piss out of each other's work as well, <laughs> which is always healthy. But, um, but they've just all worked seamlessly together and everybody's talked about it and it's really everyone's show. It's, it's kind of, you know, it is Maggie's show. I mean, I think that that's the most extraordinary thing is, is that she does that, she's doing that eight times this week. Um, she'll do it, she did it two times on Saturday and she never complains and she gets on with it and believe me, I'm married to her I know, I, if she was going to complain to anybody she was going to complain to me but she's, um, she's extraordinary the muscularity that she brings and it inspires, it inspires them you know, because they're so good at what they do that they respond to what they see in the room she got numbers though Okay. Um, well, it's me actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah just responding to that um, physical comment. I mean, it is a massively physical uh, performance. So, mm -hmm. um, I'm just, I just, I was imagining when you said about Tilda Swinton that do, does does it have to be somebody who's the right sort of, I guess. Um, physical type to, to be able to cross over between male and female because I think Tilda Swinton does that quite well and Maggie said she looked like an Egon, Egon Sheila from up, from up at the back of the balcony I was thinking in some of that lighting um, but, but you probably have to you know, A, be able to climb around the stage and B, be able to you know, not be too sort of top heavy I guess to fit in a waistcoat and well, you say that. Yeah, yeah. Lots of strapping, but the, um, but no, I don't know. It can be anything. That's the great thing about the play. It's the great thing about Alex's version as well. It's it's not too prescribed. Um, I mean, I reckon that maybe in about fifteen years' time we'll come back and we'll do this again with Maggie in the role. Um, I think that it's the kind of show that she could be doing when she's you know seventy years old. I'm not saying that she's going to be putting a chair up on the wall and doing it then, because the show will evolve and it will adapt. But the show can absolutely take that because the story is so interesting and because the poetry that's within it is so intriguing. You know, and there are so many things within the play that just resonate so clearly with today. And, you know, I mean, like, so the, the, the play covers a whole range of topics within, from scene to scene to scene, but it does it with such a lightness of touch that it's, it's up to the audience member what they get from it. It almost sounds like such a cop-out, but that... Um, when, I, when, I, when I first understood what Beckett was 
um, when I, I went and saw a production once again, Deborah Warner, once again, uh, Fiona Shaw, uh, doing Happy Days at the National Theatre. And it was the first time that I actually understood that it's as much about what I bring to this production as an audience member as it is what goes on on stage. Um, so if I believe that this play is really bleak, then that's what I will walk away feeling. I will find that in the play. And I think that this is kind of similar. It's, it's, it's mm. an extraordinary piece of writing. And I think because of that, you don't... I think any shape woman would... As long as that actor believes that she went, goes on that journey, I don't think it matters too much on the physical appearance. You just She is so invested in it that we mm. invest in it. That's mm. what matters. Um, and I, having seen photos of all the women all over the world that have played mm -hmm. it, there are many different body types. And um, ages. And, and ages, like and I think yeah. that's fascinating, playing it as a 70-year-old woman. Okay, yeah. you might change the production slightly, but that's fascinating to see it from that angle as well. Yeah. Hi. This Speaks the way that the way that Ella speaks is the way that Maggie speaks. Um, the Scottish accent is something that kind of rumbled from within her when because we we she she um, brushed up on doing a German accent for it for months before dialect coach brilliant dialect coach everything like that it sounded great said the first line well fell about laughing it was too much <laughs> like it it just doesn't fit it doesn't fit the rhythm of the English language it doesn't have the required kind of feeling with it. So we then said to her, well, what, what would you do if it, was a, if it was a person, if it was a man, if it was something that you felt like was something that was gruff and was coming from inside and the Scottish accent rumbled from within her and came out? And we just went, all right, we'll go with that. And that, that was the thing, is, is that that's kind of... It sounds so kind of like weird, but that, that was what came out of her. So... That's kind of what it stayed, and, and I know what you mean. This is that you're, you're not the only one that's not a stupid question at all. <laughs> that's right, yeah. But that it's once again, this is all that needs to do is sound unusual. I think. I mean, that's kind of you know, that's on me that one because because she could do as you heard from all the accents that she does during the shows is that she can do many accents, but that I just it felt like that that was who Max was to her um, based on all the research that she'd done she'd done months of research going into this and that that's what came out and that's what her instinct was telling her it was so we kind of went with it and because we were going to Edinburgh it kind of fitted but yeah let me do one more and then let's make it a question for Alex as well because I've talked a lot <laughs> thank you anyone else? I have a, a question. I mean, is, you mentioned the stage directions and how, as a writer, is it kind of uh, is it both frightening and freeing to not provide a, a director or an actor or something with a suggestion of how to enter a scene or to get out of a scene or to you know how did you approach that or was there a dialogue between you two to to kind of to to begin the whole process because you know. Oh, uh, you know, she opens the door, or she appears. Let's say, if there are no stage directions, how no. did you kind of, kind of approach the whole? I mean, I was very process. happy to leave the no stage directions. I wasn't worried about that at all because Manfred hadn't provided them, so I didn't feel the need to add them. Uh, and as when I'm writing my original plays as well, um, I'm quite a fan of leaving it as sparse as possible. 
again, that thing I said earlier, actually, about giving other people space um, and not dictating. Uh, sometimes it's absolutely crucial that you're in a specific location and it needs to be described in minute detail. But a lot of times we're probably better off allowing the artistic team to find that. Um, and for me, I'm just most interested in the interactions and people behaving uh, with each other people. Uh, so frankly, whether there's a clock on the wall or you know, a turner, or well, I don't really care. Um, and designers and directors and actors will find those things. Um, so I certainly wouldn't have imposed that on these guys. So when the door opens, they discovered that, and I had nothing to do with that whatsoever. Yeah, day one of rehearsals was interesting because Maggie just sat there and we did a read through and then she just sat there with a chair and there was literally just a chair in the room. And it was like, right, off you go. She went, what? <laughs> <laughs> Do what? And I was like, yeah, go. Just see what happens. Let's see what happens. And I had about 50 ideas written down. Most of them ended up in the bin because it, you, you find it. It's, you know, it's taken a long time for me to be able to trust that. But you do, it's, if the play's good enough, then you, you you will find it. And this one's it's extraordinary. I, I love it. I still get new things. I've got notes for tomorrow and everything. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. Really appreciate you coming. Thank you. Thank you. Bruce Guthrie Alexander Wood there, the director and translator from Man to Man at the Wilton's Music Hall. Go and see them. Um, we will have another podcast this week uh, coming to you, probably maybe later today, maybe tomorrow. Uh, but uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the uh, Curtain Call Theatre Podcast. Leaves me to say a huge thank you to the entire company of Man to Man at Wilton's Music Hall. Uh, go and see them, and I will see you all soon. Bye. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.